Hey everyone, this is the Creative Outsiders Podcast with Siobhan, and you know that we connect the dots for women storytellers. Basically, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. For creatives, by creatives, location locked. Wish you could find production staff that's professional and easy to work with. Do you lose a lot of time trying to find the perfect location? Then you'll love Location Lock, a peer-to-peer marketplace that offers filmmakers and content creators like yourself the opportunity to book locations and services needed for your next big project or event. Location Lock can also help spread the word about your next open photography session or casting call. It's a win-win. Visit LocationLock.com today and get started. And today I'm excited. I actually told them before we jumped on that they are actually the first live interview two people at once. So I'm excited to have Dana and Sarah on today of Dana and Sarah Films. Welcome to the show. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. (laughs) That was cute. Y'all were like in sync even when you said thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll definitely do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... I always like to ask people, and I'll ask both of y'all, um, how did you get started with filmmaking? That's a great question. Um, this is Dana speaking. <laughs> and uh, for me personally, I was one of those kids that as soon as my parents got old high video camera, I was always walking around just making silly movies with my <laughs> friends and just immediately took to it. I went into um, school for um, filmmaking in Chicago, and um, basically it all evolved from there. Um, and uh, when I met Sarah, we met at college as well, and um, she was interested in some similar things with um, video, and we were both interested in environmental issues. Um, we just started kind of making some projects together as soon as we met, and um, then we graduated, and the next thing we knew, we were starting a film production company together. <laughs> And then what about for you? Yeah, this is Sarah. We, um, I went to school also, and um, we both graduated with um, BFA, and Dana's was in film and video, and mine was in new media. So I do more of the sound operation and website management and directing and different than Dana. She's always behind the camera. She's definitely the cinematographer and director of photography, but um, it works really well to... Um, like with the both of our backgrounds that it's a perfect collaboration so yeah yeah and uh if I could just uh jump in there again this is Dana that um I wanted to mention that you know for a lot of women out there who are considering you know how can I make it in this industry and where is my role um I I first kind of approached um what I could do with with film more traditionally and was trying to fit into the LA video scene and was doing internships and just not really happy with what I was doing. Um, Sarah was back on the East Coast, meanwhile, and, uh, you know, I was kind of talking to her and she really encouraged me that, you know, we can do this. We should leave the industry and start our own gig. And um, I was a little bit more skeptical about it at first. I'm really glad that we did. I mean, it it hasn't always been easy, but, um, but for anyone who's out there who'd doesn't know if they could do it and is afraid of the risks financially and everything that those are real, but it's it's totally been worth it. And I'm glad that you said that, um, Dana, because I was going to ask you, 
y'all made it sound really easy. Like, okay, we, and I know it could have been <laughs> like, okay, we decided and then we just jumped out the window and we did it. But like, what did that process look like from going to school and then deciding to have your own production company and then getting clients? Like, how did that work? How were you able to navigate that? It's kind of crazy, but um, we, we started this 10 years ago. We, um, we basically started off pretty unprofessional, just um, with both backgrounds in art. We were kind of just like, screw the system. We're going to do this, and we're going to grab a camera and start with whatever we have, sleep out of cars, do whatever we need to do to make this work and live our dreams. And um, we, so that's what we did. We started our first documentary um, and that was a feature length in um, 2010 together. And um, we spent two years producing that and we're just planning. We had no budget <laughs> and um, it, we got lucky that some people started to notice what we were doing and um, we got funding for it. Basically one of the easiest and random times that we were able to get funded for a film. It's not always that easy and we learned that um, later, but um, we produced that feature film planning on making no money and we decided after with some complications once we were working with a executive producer that um, started to take all the income from the film that um, we had to get some legal um, assistance and it was a mess like we had no money coming in for us after two years of working on a film and um, someone else was making all the money um, off of it so we were able to get the rights to it, which we um, deserved, and we were really uninformed about all of that. So that's a huge recommendation for if you're just going to go out there and you don't have um, legal help. But now we work with Cal California Lawyers for the Arts um, is one of the organizations that offers pro bono lawyer services, which is just essential to at least have the forms and some advice if you're going to make a film. Long story short, we basically evolved from there into realizing that we needed to form an actual business and we became an LLC. So it's just the two of us. It hasn't gotten easier, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, but um it's we've learned so much that it has we've we've had so many more successes over the years. So we're really glad that we stuck with it. Um we've had films being on PBS now, we've had a ton of recognition that we didn't have in the beginning, and a lot of accolade awards that we've been receiving in the last couple of years. So, so it feels really good to to stick with it and get through all of the messy part, and um, it'll it, you can do it. <laughs> okay, so I like that you said that because I think too, like because we're in the social media age, and everybody sees the end product, so they don't know the journey. How were you to able to like mentally sustain the moments like where you didn't have money and you were navigating this area and you didn't know what to do? Like, did you have people that you were able to lean on? Did you have like somebody that you could talk to? How did that look? Yeah, it's, it's true. This is Sarah speaking. But, um, it's, you know, like you said, like with Instagram, it's like you see this life and then behind the scenes, it's completely different. That was definitely for us that we have a great support system of family and friends that for those first few years and always we really have leaned on of staying at people's places and we have for our last documentary feature we did a crowd fundraiser so it was completely crowdfunded 
through Indiegogo, which was is great. Like most people do Kickstarter, but Indiegogo is one that's specifically for films. And we got a fiscal sponsor, so all donations were tax deductible, which really helped individuals um, that we didn't know want to support it because they could do it as a tax deduction. So I think that, you know, we, we've done everything from um, submitting to grants and trying to get sponsorships and individual donors and done all the different things to pull in money. But it definitely, we've always relied on support from other people. And, you know, we've take whatever you know there's always a percentage of what we earn that we're putting towards being the producers of all the films that we've taken our own money to put in towards making things happen but um definitely the life behind (laughs) behind the scenes has always been challenging through our last film that we worked on that is airing and broadcasting on pbs we had to force evacuate our home in california because of a landslide um in the midst of that and it's just there's always things that are happening in life that <laughs> make it difficult for different things. We edited that film completely living off the grid. Like, so we were doing it with solar power and through a backup generator, which was extremely challenging. So <laughs> wow. I think more than, more than most people are behind the scenes have been always very like rugged and we've always been semi-nomadic, moving around and mobile, making sure that all of our production equipment is like the the lightweight and can move with us really quickly so definitely been more challenging than I think most people realize um behind the scenes <laughs> yes especially you just said y'all had to evacuate because of a mudslide <laughs> yeah That's a yeah. yeah our next like we're considering doing a short film about that um it happened two years ago and We still kind of, you know, we had to move away from that area and it really changed our lives. So we're considering doing a short film kind of about our personal experience, which we've never done something like that. So and I think that we were kind of sort of traumatized by the experience and we're living within an active landslide zone. And it was definitely, you know, we were kind of afraid of our lives at times with that. But um, yeah, we're debating if we should turn that into a story or not. (laughs) You absolutely should. Okay. (laughs) I think that would be good. Uh, So you did mention to even like protecting your equipment. So I know a lot of people that like have gotten started and are specifically wanting to do documentary films. What equipment Mm -hmm. do y'all use and how did, how were you able to choose what equipment you use, especially because you are doing a lot of films that like you're on the go it's not necessarily the ideal um, like location. What equipment are you using? Right. We actually are just like swapping everything out. We're upgrading to 4K video and we're, you know, just have like sold everything and are purchasing new things. Um, so we're right in the midst of that. But we always go for whatever professional grade camera or tripod that is the most lightweight and portable. So for the tripod, we're using like a, Manfrotto um, tripod, like a fluid head tripod, and we just switched to a Canon 4K um, camcorder. Um, yeah, we we have like always <laughs> our like camera bags are like not a suitcase or a hard case thing. It's like a whatever's lightweight backpack that it can fit into. Yeah, we re- we recommend B and H as like a you know it's um, when you're on a tight budget. Making a budget is like one of those things that 
is a pain in the butt, but it's definitely an essential part of upgrading your equipment and doing any new production. So, you know, just make sure that you do that and try to get the funding organized and figure out from there what um, grade of equipment you can afford. But um, we've definitely tried to go with quality over quantity. Like we don't always have a large crew at our fingertips. And we think that that's actually an advantage for um, documentary filmmaking, um, not just because of the budget, but because it gives you access to areas and to individuals that otherwise might be overwhelmed by a larger crew. So um, we try to keep our equipment um, a little bit more discreet as well. Um, we've, yeah, we've switched to Canon um, and we've also recommended JVC, but um, getting stuff off eBay is not always a very reliable experience, even though you can get some good deals that um, we recommend like B&H or Adorama as great places to find used gear that's still in great condition. And you can speak with professionals about what suits your needs. And you mentioned something too that was really good uh, as far as documentary and then the people that you're engaging with. So when y'all are in the process of, okay, we know what subject we are covering do you have any suggestions or tips for interviewing techniques? Because I love documentary films. Everybody knows this. I talk about it all the time. I'm a documentary <laughs> geek. So I recently um, did a documentary, a short one. And as we were going through the footage, I just was like, oh my gosh, we have so much information to cover as far as our interview. So do y'all have mm-hmm. any tips for that? And then how do you have the people that you're interviewing are like comfortable. How are you able to do that? Yeah, those are really great questions. And I think that it, um, I, I would say that it, it would be a little bit different on depending on your subject and um, who you are as a person. I love talking with people and um, <laughs> love to make them feel comfortable just as like my personality. So that is important to me that um, I have found that the best parts of an interview are usually uh, after you've spoken to someone on camera for at least five minutes. Like they, and that's like, you know, not everybody is comfortable in front of a lens. So it takes a little bit of warming up. And the more that you can get to spend time with your subject, um, just in a relational sense, even if it's on the phone or just discussing things like in person with the camera off that um, I found that that helps a lot. I also very inspired by documentary filmmakers like the Maisley's brothers and um, Agnes Barda, who basically like are both have very different but similar approaches as far as letting the person um, kind of speak for themselves and um, following them not just in a traditional interview setting. I think that that sometimes gets the best, um, the most authentic actual capturing of a person and them speaking in their own environment while they're doing what is natural to them instead of creating such a sterile environment. So yeah, um, yeah, we've always done interviews outdoors also. Like it's just like we found our subjects are very outdoorsy people. that we focus on. So we've never tried to do sit down interviews indoors because we just felt like it's always created a very different environment that our subjects weren't comfortable in. So that's always been really challenging. It's harder for lighting and it's harder for sound and harder for all those things. But it's kind of like once you really 
fully immerse yourself into their lives and their who they are as a person and you adapt to whoever it is that they are, I feel like that you'll find that they will open up and be more comfortable in front of the camera if they're still kind of in their natural environment. So um, we've always tried to, to do that and it still ends up like it doesn't matter how much you plan it. You're always going to have more information in an interview than what you imagine. And editing is really a, is always a challenging thing. So what we would always do is hand like transcribe the entire interview and have it as like a written as if it was a script. And then you can kind of go back through and see what edit that way instead of just editing visually that it kind of helps speed up the process of knowing what clips can go together. So. Yeah, and this is Dana again that, um, you know, they traditionally say for documentary um, that it, it should take at least four times the amount of time that you spent shooting to edit. And um, we found that it is at least like that's a low ball number for how much time to expect because of how much is spontaneous within documentary interviews. So, um, yeah, that just to allow yourself that amount of time is really important. But um, that we've definitely found that that is it's helpful when we're as concise as possible and as specific with our questions. Like it's almost like if you could write a script and you could think of what answer you're looking for, that you can a little bit direct what you're trying to look for. And then maybe sometimes the answer that you get will be something that you completely didn't anticipate. And that's the best part of the footage. But um, I think that what I found is, is trying to understand a person and their mind and trying to understand like what they are genuinely passionate about and gear the the questions towards that. So it's really important to find the right person. That was really good feedback. And I definitely like your suggestion about the um, having it transcribed like that. I'm going to do that going forward. That's going to save me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just how I... I mean, everyone's different. Like Dana can kind of do it visually and she can edit like that in her mind. And I'm not like that. Like I have, a, I get distracted by what I'm seeing. So for me, it really helps since you're going to do that anyway, probably at the end to get closed captions or subtitling. I was just like, why not <laughs> have it transcribed out? Because for me, it's like reading the story. Then I can see how to edit and, you know, make a paragraph with what they're saying or be able to visualize if, oh, they already said that once before. So. Yeah, it really helps me. <laughs> so, wh why did y'all decide to do documentary films? Like, what what made you choose documentary? I think that it was a little bit of a twofold, but that we were interested in the reality, like the nonfiction stories that could actually serve as social um, change tools. That we were, when we um, met, we were both really interested in. Um, environmental issues and kind of we're doing art installations and we're seeing them as um, video art installations as tools to be able to create social change. So we felt that it was versus, you know, making a narrative film that it was something that we could actually document real issues that were going on. And um, we wanted to take a little bit of a different perspective with our um, films by trying to focus on solutions to issues. So that was something that as like activists and artists that we felt documentary really allowed us to do. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add to it is that I also had an education um, background that I was thinking that I wanted to be a teacher. So I got all the credits for 
um, that except for doing student teaching. So for me, documentary is kind of a tool for to be educational. So for me, like with distribution, it's always very important that the final thing is submitted to libraries and universities and gets into educational uh, film and video catalogs for schools. So for me, it's always kind of been that way of that side of me wanting to have it be like a teaching tool documentary. Our generation, I think, really like is doing that really, really well. It's kind of like the new thing that um, documentaries in the past have not been like super always like focused on being issue films and things like that. And that our generation being like environmentalists and activists are finding this way to use documentary to be a way of educating the public about things that are going on. So, yeah. So I know that you all have had your documentaries on PBS, CNL, FNX. So how were you able to get your documentaries distributed on these platforms? Because that's a lot of things. uh, Well, one of the questions that women do ask. Yeah, this is Dana. I was just going to, um, I'm glad that you asked that because they just kind of touched on, you know, the importance of distribution um, to these educational platforms. And honestly, it's it's the biggest, most important thing that we have found that um, you can do as a documentary filmmaker is to put in the work and the time to make those distribution deals happen they're not just going to come to you no matter what grant you get or fellowship that you're participating in. There will be certain opportunities, obviously, that those give you. But I think that um, a lot of um, filmmakers, especially maybe in our generation, expect that people are, oh, I made this great work of art. Now um, I'm just waiting for people to come to me. Mm-hmm. And oh, I'm, I'm waiting for that distribution deal that's going to be offered to, and put on my lap. And that has never been our the case. Like we spend, I mean, there, there's been opportunities that have come from our hard work, but that it's basically up to you as a filmmaker, I think, to really put in the work, especially as an independent filmmaker. We, we spent, you know, years putting in like long days of reaching out to tons of opportunities that we could find. And we didn't have some manager that was reaching out for us that made us sound <laughs> more legit that was necessarily the case for us that, that might have been the typical thing that um, a lot of those broadcasting channels were used to. But the if, if we got, if nobody responded, we would follow up the next week. And if nobody responded still, we'd call them. And, um, you know, we would get on the, get the right contact, get as specific as you can if, um, like we contacted PBS quite a few times before we actually got the right niche that was offering us a broadcasting deal. And that didn't just come to us. We, we made the effort. Um, do you want to add to that there? Yeah. I was going to say that, um, that the, that, you know, nowadays with the internet, you really, as a independent filmmaker, you have the resources available to you to be able to do that research and find that, contact information for um, people online and that, you know, sending them an email is one thing, but I always love jumping on a call and trying to talk to people because it's such a different experience. If you are having that personal (laughs) connection with someone and really getting to tell them your story. So I think persistence, like research and persistence and dedication to wanting to have your story shared with the world is really what 
makes things happen. And I think that's good that you even said that, you know, it's not going to just like come on your doorstep and be like, hey, we've been looking for you and that you do have to afterwards still put in the work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that a lot of people end up giving up because they think, oh, you know, I didn't get picked up immediately and like, therefore, I am not worthy or I'm not successful. I think that's especially with women, something that we don't have a lot of role models that are doing this to look to and be like, oh, am I doing this right? Am I a success? And that I think that that is something that we do have to work harder for and we do have to put in more time for to be able to create that for ourselves. So I think just it's really important to realize that you can do it and that it's up to you and that you do have the ability to create those possibilities for yourself. And I know that y'all have uh, quite a few documentaries under your belt. How do y'all sustain while you are, like, let's say, downtime? Like, you're not necessarily working on a feature documentary or a short. How are you able to sustain during those times? I feel like that it's literally like a 24-7 job that we eat, breathe, and drink and love what we do that there I think that we have a hard time separating our work from our lives they're so intertwined that we're always thinking about things and always working on things a film that we made you know almost 10 years ago we still are getting like working on it daily we are fulfilling um, our own dvds like at times and so it's like daily we're shipping dvds out to people and constantly doing customer service you know maintaining websites signing like broadcasting licenses and working on social media and marketing. It's a never ending job. Like I feel like with every film we create, it's actually a new business that you're going to carry for the rest of your life if you're really wanting to. And that's what we're doing for like all of our past work. We carry as if they're all separate businesses that we work on daily. So like throw a few stats out there because we're I was working on a grant yesterday for um, the next film that we're hoping to be able to produce. And, uh, you know, I read that only 20 percent of documentary filmmakers that were surveyed in America said that they were able to make a living off of just their documentaries. And I mean, that is incredibly a sad number. That's not just women documentary filmmakers. That's like the industry in the U.S. of documentary filmmakers. So anytime that we've had, we have had like low times in our sales and we both as um, having art backgrounds have like picked up. I mean, we've been, we've really uh, been determined not to just like go in and get a nine to five job as much as we can because we've dedicated so much investment already into building our own business. So that's been, uh, that's been hard at times, but basically Sarah um, has a background in jewelry and I also am a painter um, doing um, oil paintings. And so we, we picked that up for a while um, where we were basically connected to all these galleries. So we said, we realized that we could do that as a supplemental income and kind of had to. And now we're, um, we're switching away from that again to be able to focus more time on film. But um, it is like a juggling act for sure to be able to make it all the time. And um, again, statistically, the the number one way that documentary filmmakers are making income is through DVD sales. If other than, you know, just getting like funding and grants, the 
their DVD sales are the number one way. And we've found that that's been um, true for us as well. The um, on-demand channels are great. And the more people are watching like, you know, Netflix and YouTube apparently than any other format of being, of watching documentaries. But um, if you can have DVDs produced and start distributing yourself, like the, the number one thing is to get exposure for them and you can make a living off of it. And I did want to touch on it before I ask you, what are y'all working on now? I wanted to touch on the documentary specifically. And if I'm saying it wrong, please tell me if I'm saying it wrong. Is it Goshen? Is that wrong? Or how do you say it? Goshen. Goshen. Okay. Goshen Places of Refuge for the Running People. Tell everyone Mm -hmm. about that because I thought this was so interesting. Um, this is Dana. Yeah, we, um, so we, Goshen is um, a documentary about an indigenous tribe called the Tarumara, who are known for long distance running, and they're primarily plant-based diet. And um, a lot of researchers and um, doctors have gone down and studied both their um, health that's linked to their diet and their physical fitness, which is linked to their running um, and their footwear. So they wear these handmade sandals and they um, run for hundreds of miles in these races that they call Rara Hippery. They, it was an incredible experience. Um, it was one of the most challenging experiences that we've ever had as filmmakers. There were it's all, it kind of could take up a whole other interview to describe some of the insanity that went on in producing that. But um, long story short, it's in the Copper Canyons, Mexico, which are um, geographically larger and deeper than the Grand Canyon. If you've ever seen that, you can kind of try to wrap your mind around that. And it's not far from the um, border, but the geography has kept it to be the most indigenous remaining um, culture in all of um, North America. Basically, when we went down there, it was it, w- it was treacherous being able to get to the community that we got to. Um, there aren't paved roads into most of the canyon or any roads, um, and especially into the northern parts of the canyon that um, we were able to basically hire a bush pilot and have him um, you know, just a two-seater little pilot that landed on not a landing strip, but like just perched kind of the peaks of this uh, canyon. And uh, we filmed and we're <laughs> left kind of like off-grid there to produce the film for a month um, amongst this part of the indigenous um, tribe that had never, most of them had never seen cameras. And um, so it was a, it was an extremely challenging, but um, rewarding experience. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you all, how did you even come across this to say, okay, I know that I want to tell their story? Yeah, we were touring with our previous a documentary um, in New Zealand. And when we were there, a bunch of like our friends and people that we had met kept telling us to read this book called Born to Run. So we were searching all over the island um, in New Zealand trying to find this book and we finally found it and we read it and uh, immediately fell in love with the story of the Tarumara. And we were like, how could we ever like get a connection to them? And um, the author, Christopher McDougall, how are we ever going to like, you know, connect with him? Would he ever even want to be interviewed? And long story short, we had connections. He lived in the town that I went to school in 
in Pennsylvania and the Taramara, we, um, it was like through my aunt massaged the <laughs> parents of the pilot. So it was kind of this crazy connection that happened as soon as people knew that we wanted to go down, they started reaching out to people that they knew and telling the story. And it was like, all these people came to us and were like, Hey, we know the connection and you can make this happen if you're wanting to. So if we hadn't read that book, we probably would have never heard of them. But that book was a national bestseller. And uh, it's just a fantastic book to read of, yeah, of Christopher McDougall's story of his time down there. I think that's awesome. And I just like how, like, I, I truly believe that when you put yourself out there, like, the pieces of the puzzle just come together. Yeah, that's been our experience so far. So I think a lot of times people just overthink it or over like talk themselves out of it is that it's not possible. But if you there you really believe in something, there's something you want to do and you put it out into the world, it has always been that the answers come back to and opportunities come back and um doors open up and there yeah, that those opportunities will present themselves to be able to be possible. So that's always been our experience. <laughs> So what is the next for Dana and Sarah film? That's a great question. And honestly, we're not 100% sure. And we get, um, <laughs> we get asked this a lot. So we always try to, you know, decide how to answer it. But um, we do know that we are trying to stick with what we've always stuck with in the past of themes that relate to environmental sustainability and health. But um, where we might take a little bit of a different approach with that. Um, the more that we, we knew that we wanted to tell our next story, having women in the forefront of the camera, because we just realized that even as women filmmakers, that we hadn't done a documentary that just focused on women as like the subjects. There was women in a lot of our documentaries, but not as the main subject. So we, so we wanted to, we started looking for that. And the more that we looked for stories that kind of fit all of the um, criteria that we were looking for, we started to realize that our story was something that we had never shared and that we, we aren't the type of documentary filmmakers that put ourselves in front of the lens usually. Um, we remain all invisible and um, leave our voices out of it. We haven't done narration of our voices even. So the next short film that we're working on is going to be like an autobiographical short film that is about the effects of a of going through a natural disaster. And um, we're going to go back to Big Sur where we had to evacuate and the landslide activity is still happening there. So we have footage of when we were evacuating and um, we just never were sure about what to do with it. And so we're we're working with some other stock footage as well of the event, and we're kind of examining the, instead of just the actual event of a natural disaster, which other channels have done, like National Geographic, we're more taking like a an intimate perspective on it of what the longer term impacts are on one case of experiencing it. And um, like, what are the emotional impacts? What are the psychological impacts? And uh, how does that influence the redemption story of moving forward? So that's kind of a more like personal um, story than we've ever done that is a little bit veering off of the past. But um, that's, that's what we're working on trying to get funding for right now. 
And I hope that y'all do. And I think that it will be really good. And I like that you all want to do it from a more like intimate perspective. I think that'll be really good. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And so I wanted to ask you all last question. You both can answer. What advice do you have for women who want to be documentary filmmakers or even are already like on a journey and they just kind of feel stuck? That's a good question. I would say that for one thing that I find someone that is a great partner like to work with. I There's been a lot of times where when Sarah and I aren't on the same page in life that like one of us will feel stuck because like we really do rely on one another to, to help uh, make our product better and to go forward. And even if you don't have that person to be able to produce films with, that I think it's really important to realize that you can't really do it alone, that there are resources out there for you. And that if you try to approach anything as if you are alone in it, that it will be really discouraging. And I think that we need those empowering resources that are out there and that we don't always have access to, to encourage us but if the traditional models don't work out from you if you apply for a grant and get discouraged because after months of working on it you don't get it then don't take that as a no um, keep fighting for it I would say that the more that you can get in touch with your personal vision by through me which helps um, journaling and writing the more that you will have confidence that your voice does matter and that there are um, opportunities out there to share it. <laughs> I feel like she just answered every said all the things that I said. So I'm going to be like, don't give up. But um, that it's really true that it's great to always ask for help if you need help. Don't give up. There's so many resources that are out there nowadays. There's so much support for women filmmakers, such as even this podcast. That um, I think that there's other you know organizations. There's film festivals that are just for women there's so many things that women really are making steps forward in this industry that i think that it's just don't be afraid to ask for help and don't give up stay persistent and things will work out i think that both of y'all gave really good advice and i absolutely enjoyed talking to both of you and thank you we enjoyed you as well and let everyone know how they are able to connect with you if they want to collaborate or even just support you our website is danasarafilms.com, so you can get on there to contact us. Our Instagram handle is also danasarafilms, so um, we'd love to connect and collaborate, especially with um, women filmmakers. So everyone, you know the drill. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Go live your filmmaking dreams, and please share the podcast, subscribe, and even leave us comments if you have any questions. And until next time.